Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Whether you're here, whether North Avenue, home, thank you for being here, for giving us a little bit of your time this morning and worshiping with us. I got a couple of quick things for you. They've been highlighted there, but I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, when you hear the announcements, make sure you do listen because everything that's there is current every single week. Projects, if you've got things around the house to be done, we've got a bunch of teens that are just waiting to be hired. You know, good luck. Um, uh, very sincerely, they're waiting for, for things to be done. If you've got you know, yard work to be done, projects around the house, uh, bring a, a team in and they'll, they'll be in, they'll be out. Uh, you're making a donation to a great cause. I mean, use, utilize them in those kind of things. But a couple of key pieces here. One, you heard of baptism services coming up. It's going to be in May, May the 15th. If you've not been baptized, if you've not taken that step in your walk with God, take a good look at that. Why not? Why wouldn't, I, why wouldn't I say yes to baptism? Why wouldn't I follow Jesus Christ in one of his commands and one of the commands of Scripture to do that next step? If you've not done that, take a good look. If you're in a small group, you're in a ministry group, ask your old group. Let's do it together. Who has been baptized? Let's be baptized together. Take that next step. Go on Church Center. Uh, that's the way to sign up and set up with an interview, one of our elders, and get you ready for that day. But by all means, do participate. The other thing you heard about meals for a new, um, we participate a couple times a year. We provide meals for the shelter. I think there's like 10 meals not covered yet. like to have that all wrapped up today. It's a great opportunity for a group, a small group to do it. Uh, a family, teach your kids early about what it means to give back and to participate in service. But we like to get that uh, kind of sealed up and done. It's a great ministry. So jump in there and participate in those uh, couple of areas where you can, where you can quite literally be a part of feeding people and being the, the hands and the arms of Jesus. So now here we are week after Easter. One, I want to say what a great weekend last week. And I want to thank literally the hundreds of you who volunteered uh, to make a weekend like that happen. On top of that, the numbers of you that volunteer every single week that make ministry happen, whether it be to students, whether it be for children's ministries, all the other ministries, very sincerely, thank you for doing that. If you were invited last week, if you invited someone, thank you for inviting them. If you were invited and find yourself back this week, welcome. We're glad you came back. So uh, we heard numbers of comments last week from folks that haven't been back since COVID. And last week was their first time back. If you're back yet again and that was your first, welcome back. If you're watching online, you're not back yet, come on back, open for business. Uh, we are glad you're here and a part of the day. I've got to give one quick shout out uh, to one family. Now, you know, there's stories that happen Easter that you wouldn't hear. I didn't get a chance to meet this family, but I'll tell you their story. Uh, this particular family found us online during COVID. They watch every single week. And they've never been to church. And last week they decided we're going to go to church, which is, which is a great, nice thing. But they live in Concord, New Hampshire. And last week they loaded up the car in Concord and got here for the 11 o'clock service. Never been to church before, but wanted to be here and see what it's like in person. So Anthony, if you're watching this morning again, thanks for making that trip last week. And that's just one of the stories of folks that found their way here. And thanks for being a part of making last weekend such a great weekend. Now, last week was Easter and I was making the case as we were preaching and talking together, making the case that you can believe in Jesus Christ and who he is based upon the eyewitness accounts of others. And last week we were talking about the fact we had eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus. And so you can make a decision to follow Jesus based on that. And we're in our series and we're not in our series. We're talking about up close and personal. And we're not just talking about, of course, the resurrection of Christ. We're talking about the fact that John saw numbers of things. He was an eyewitness, as all the gospel writers were, to different things that took place that would make us say, I can believe it because of their eyewitness accounts. 
Now, I'll give you a little insight and thought process that I go through. So I'm, I'm preaching next week and getting, getting ready for Easter last week and getting ready to preach. And oftentimes when I'm preaching and I'm making, trying to make a case as to why someone should believe, I will confess to you, I find myself thinking, so what would it take for someone to go, I believe? I mean, what would it take for them just to go, I'm just in? And have you ever had those moments where you find yourself saying something like this, you know, God, if you could just do something. You know, if you could just do something extraordinary. I mean, if you could just do, you know, we read the stories and we think to ourselves, let's be honest, I think to myself, you know, if you could just bring someone back from the dead today, if you could just make the blind person see today, I mean, if you just do something exceptional, I mean, think of the people who would believe. Think of you know, how easy it would be to sell, you know, the quote-unquote story if you would just do that. It's just, you know, God, just one time, do something really spectacular. Do something unexplainable. I mean, it would really make my faith stronger. How about yours? And on top of that, all these people that might believe. And I, I picture God going, yeah, okay, I'm in. I'll do it. I'll do something. I'm going to do something for you that's just, you know, beyond explanation. I got it. I'm going to create, I can hear God, I'm going to create a rock. I'm going to create a rock so big that all of humanity can live on this rock. Every living thing can live in this rock. On top of that, I'm going to so fine-tune this rock and I'm going to set it a bunch of another, other rocks in a solar system. And I'm going to so fine-tune it that a couple miles, one way or the other, you can't live on it. But I'm going to make it so not only can you live on it, but on top of it, it's the most gorgeous rock you've ever seen. And every day you get up, you go, ooh, I get to live in this rock. I'm going to do that for you. And then God goes, ooh, wait a minute, I did that already. Uh, I have to come up with something else. Okay, how about this? I'll, I'll, here we, here's what I'll do. I'm going to make, I'm going to make a camera that has a 576 megapixel ability. A camera with a 576 megapixel ability. I'm going to give you two of them. I'm going to stick them on the front of your head. And on top of that, I'm going to tie these two cameras to a 3,000 gigahertz computer. A computer that has so much memory that you can't ever run out of memory. I mean, every single thing these cameras take will go into this memory bank. You'll never run out of memory. And on top of that, I'm going to make it so that you can easily download this information generation, generation, generation. You can just pass it along, pass along, and never, never run out of memory. Ooh, wait a minute. I did that already. And of course, to all that, we're going, no, no, you got to do something better. I mean, do something really spectacular. And God goes, okay, I got it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make the human body work in such a way that the heart's going to beat, breath will take place, it's going to keep a steady temperature, although no one can figure out why all those things happen. I'm going to make it so it happens, but on top of that, by the time today's speaker, and I'm referring, and don't forget, I'm speaking as if I'm God, I'm referring to me, just in case you missed it. By the time today's speaker finishes this sentence, I'm going to make it so that 50,000 of your cells in your body die but are immediately replaced by another 50,000 cells. And you don't even know it because they're going to be self-regenerating all the time. This is going to go on 24-7, like every sentence that before you can finish it, 50,000 dead, 50,000 new ones in, over and over and over again. And you don't have to do a thing. It's all on autopilot. And to that we go, hmm. I mean, but something really spectacular. And then we would believe. You get it, right? I mean, you get the idea. I mean, we're in our series, Up Close and Personal, and we're looking at the Gospel of John, where John basically says, let me tell you these incredible stories. 
I saw them firsthand so that you have credibility in your belief system. Because I believe it because someone saw it, and it's true. And today we come to a story that if you look in your Bible, if you open the Bible and look at the paragraph heading, you would find it would probably says, Jesus heals a man born blind. And that's the story that we come to. But I would suggest to you there's a part of this story that you probably have missed. I say it because I missed it. And it wasn't until I was studying, actually, this week that it was like the light came on. I went, man, I missed that. And we're going to talk about that this morning, which actually is so pivotal to really understanding the power of the story. So let me read it for you, then we'll unpack it. We can't read the whole story. It's pretty lengthy, but I can read the key parts. And here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he, he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Let me offer prayer. Father, we come to your word and we ask that you would take your word and bring it to life for us. But again, I would say, Lord, don't bring it to life so that we just learn something because it's not education we need, it's transformation. So bring your word to life so that it changes us. I pray this morning for every person that would hear these words, that somehow their heart, their life, their view, their outlook would be changed because of not my words, but because of your truth. I pray that you would start that and do that in me as well. And Lord, I pray this, as we're gathered here, um, we, we can't see inside of each other's lives, so we don't know all that's taking place. But I know there are people here who are desperate this morning for some, something. They're facing some issue. They're facing some crisis. They're going through something. Whether here in this room, whether watching online, where at this point, if we could see inside them, there'd be them there, we would see them asking you, Lord, please help me. I pray this morning that for that person, whoever they might be, they would have that sense of your presence and that sense of you at work in them. I pray this, Lord Jesus, that through the power of your, of your name, the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see transformation take place in our lives. We would see your handiwork at work in us. So for that person this morning who's desperate, may they sense your calm and may they sense your peace. May they sense your healing. For each of us, open our hearts to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So quick background, for the life of Jesus' ministry, almost his entire ministry walk was north and south. Uh, south uh, 
from Jerusalem, south to Jerusalem, back north up to the Galilee region. If you look at a map, you will find that that was his, that was his walk. 70 to 90 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem and back. And you can see off to, off to Cana, but Cana would be kind of on the way. There are different routes, but basically north and south. That would be the pathway that he took. He would go to Jerusalem, where, of course, that was the spiritual center. And so a lot of ministry took place there because everyone went to Jerusalem because that was the site of the temple. So he would go there, but on top of that, that was the place where the masses of people were. So if you know the stories you would read, he'd go to Jerusalem, all sorts of ministry would take place, and ministry to people can be wearisome, especially with the intensity that would be in Jesus' ministry. Then he'd make his way back to the Galilee, kind of a regroup, but still ministering there. Back and forth he would go. And our story this morning, we're not exactly sure where exactly it happens, but it's on the path pathway, if you will. And it says they're going along and they see a man who is blind. Now, somehow they see a man who is blind and somehow his disciples learn the man's story and find out that he's born blind. We don't have any indication that the man knows Jesus, that Jesus knows the man, that anyone else knows him. They see a man who is blind, probably begging on the side of the road, and they find out that this guy has been blind since birth. So they're standing there and they go to Jesus and they go, so we have a question for you and it kind of goes like this. Now, don't look now. We'll tell you when to look, but don't look now. But there's a guy over there and he's standing with a bunch of people and don't stare, but he's blind. And uh, we got a question for you. So is he the one who sinned and caused the blindness or did his parents sin and did they cause the blindness? That's their question. Now you have to understand this very key piece. This is not the part I was saying earlier to make sure you understand, but it kind of fits into the story. But you have to understand in the first century, sin and suffering was always seen as walking hand in hand. In the first century, if someone was suffering, it was because of sin. That was not just a couple of people believing that. That was what the culture believed. If someone was in suffering, if someone had some deformity, someone had something going on major in their body, even minor in their body, it was always connected to sin. So if you saw someone who was blind, one of the questions would be, what sin did they commit? And if the person was born blind, the question would be, who sinned? Was it the parents that sinned? Was it the person that sinned, that they were, that they were blind? And don't forget this, I shared this a couple weeks ago, that in that culture, if a pregnant woman went into a temple of pagan worship, that was considered sin. So on top of it, not only would she have sin, but now the baby has sin. That, went, that kind of went with, that was the package deal. So understand, this is very critical. This was a cultural thing and everyone believed it. Now this belief, think about this. This belief had a profound effect on how the people would be treated and the sense of compassion or absence of compassion in people's lives. That's why these people that were lame, that couldn't walk, had a deformed hand, um, you know, were blind, whatever it might be. That's why these people were so pained in life and so hopeless because everyone viewed them as this. Like, this is key. Everyone viewed them as getting what they deserved. That's critical. That's why these people were so destitute. That's why they were so hopeless. Because the cultural view was, if you've got something wrong with you, it's because of your sin. So, if you saw someone on the side of the road begging, if you gave them a dollar, if you gave them a coin, that was a huge deal. You were really generous. Why? Because you have no obligation to give to them because they've sinned. Now, in our culture today, if we see someone that needs help, some, a blind person maybe trying to cross the street, we run to help. We run to assist. Why? Because we don't have that cultural thought process that says, well, they're getting what they deserve. That was the cultural thought process of the day. Now, sometimes we know 
that in our lives, sometimes we suffer because of our bad choices, right? We make bad decisions that cause us pain and suffering. We get that. We also know sometimes in life, someone else's bad decision causes our pain and suffering. A drunk driver crosses the median, hits a car, and kills a family. And so we know that someone else's bad choice can, can cause that. But in their thought process, even if the drunk driver crosses the road and hits the car and kills the mom, kills dad, or kills the children, those people sin. You have to get that. This is very critical. Those people sin. Anything that happened was because of their sin. It's a really critical thought process. So here's this guy blind, and they say to Jesus, so who, blind, who, who, uh, who sinned here, the man or the parents? Jesus' answer, neither. Neither one. You got this all wrong. Now, please know, it doesn't seem like much to us because that's not our thought process. But if your thought process is that's the only explanation for these kind of things, it's a huge deal when Jesus says, neither. Jesus is just about to blow up their world. He's about to tell them something that they would not like to hear. And even we struggle a little bit. He says, bottom line is he's beginning to set up a whole new way of thinking. And Jesus says, neither one of them sin. Now catch this. He says, this happened This guy's blind. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, immediately, if you think about that, you may not like that. Because the natural conclusion is, wait a minute. So this guy's blind since birth just so that Jesus can do a miracle right now? And many of us would kind of go, oh, I'm not sure I like that. Well, what do you prefer, the sin one? You prefer the sin issue? It's all because of sin? I mean, let's be be honest here. If it's because of sin, then why aren't we all blind? Right? If it's because of sin, we'd all be here blind today. So we hear that and we go, man, I kind of struggle with that a little bit. So let's kind of explain this just a little bit here. Now, sin is, of course, um, an issue in our lives. We all deal with that. But if it was a sin issue here, we'd all be having something wrong with us. We'd all be blind. That can't be it. Now, we have to, now we don't like to hear this, but you have to hear this and, and kind of grab hold of it. And it is absolutely possible that this guy was blind from birth purely for the fact that in this moment God would heal him and make a statement. Heal him and make a statement. That's absolutely possible, even though sometimes we kind of go, ooh, I don't know. But I'll give you a story that may help may help you a little bit. Years ago, I was in church one Sunday right here, back lobby, or back in, out in the lobby. A guy comes up to me before church, and he goes, Pastor, I just got to tell you, I, got, I am so proud of my son. I am so proud of my son. I like proud son moments. I go, tell me. He goes, I'm so proud of my son. My son fell off a tree this past week and broke his arm severely. I mean, compound fracture through the, through the skin, whatever. He came out of surgery, and he looks at me and says, Dad, just think how good God is that he broke my arm for, to teach me some lessons. That's what he said. He said, I'm so proud of my son. He has that view of God that God broke his arm. God broke his arm so severely so God could teach him some lessons. Now, I got to tell you, now I'm in a pained position. I'm going, oh, just walk away. Just walk away. No, I can't. I got to say. So I said, well, and he, he can tell. He goes, well, what do you think? I go, well, I'm not exactly sure that God, you know, broke his arm on purpose to teach him lessons. Now, hear me out. And I knew the guy well enough. I said, hear me out. Now, it's possible that God did, in fact, break his arm severely to teach your eight-year-old son some incredible life lessons. Possible. Possible. Could. I mean, sovereignty of God. Could have done it. Eight years old. Who knows? There's great lessons eight-year-olds can learn. But that could be one. I said, but maybe, maybe... Maybe he was playing in the tree and just slipped, and gravity won. 
I was on a 32-foot ladder one day when I was in college, and I slipped. Gravity won. And I found that the bigger you are, the faster you fall. Gravity won. I hit the ground, laid there for a little bit, kind of took stock. Everything seemed to be in working order. Got up, put the ladder away, went home, said, I'm just done for the day. Gravity sometimes wins. No, gravity always wins. That could have been it. I said, or you said he was with a friend. The friend could have pushed him out of the tree. The friend won. I said, or it could have been that he was in this tree and he just watched Superman and he said, you know what, I wonder if I can fly. And so he leaped off of the tree and found out that he can't fly and maybe stupidity broke his arm. Now, again, I know him well enough, I can say these things. So I'm thinking we got multiple options here. I'm not sure I can say God broke his arm for the purpose of just teaching him a lesson. But I can say this, no matter how it got broken, there's some great lessons that we can learn. And that's the piece that I need you to hear. The point of the story is that God can use pain and suffering in bigger ways than you and I can imagine. And yes, it is within God's sovereignty that he can bring the pain and suffering in order to teach us things. But I also know I've done a lot of things in my life that have brought upon myself pain and suffering. And I'm so glad that God chooses to use all of them to help me learn and to grow. You see, God can choose to display his power on the stage of your pain and suffering. He can do that. And let's be honest, many of us, most of us, have had no awareness of the depth of God's love, of the depth of God's power, or the depth of God's care until we experience him in the middle of the pain and suffering, right? I mean, let's be honest, until the pain and suffering comes, it's just this nice thought. But when it comes, then you get to see God for who he really is. Let me make a key statement. Your pain and suffering will never be wasted and will always have a purpose when it's handed over to God. So there's a key piece of this story. And you've seen that in your life, right? You've seen yourself go through times that you never would want to go through and you walk on the other side of it and you go, man, did God show up. I know, I know God better today than I ever dreamed possible and I wouldn't have had I not gone through this. We know that to be true. So we, we have experienced in life. So Jesus says, well, neither sinned. If sin was the issue, every one of you would be in trouble. So that's not the issue. And then he says this in verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he says that, and here's what the disciples, I think, are thinking. They're going like this. Now, wait a minute. You always do this. We're talking about one thing, and then you start talking about something else. I mean, we're talking about sin, what happened, and now you switch, and we can't. Why are you talking about this? You see, Jesus is saying here, you guys are missing it. I just gave you a key answer that, you, that, 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 that this guy's blind so the works of God would be seen, and you're missing it. In fact, he, what he's saying to these guys is you're missing me. While I'm here, I'm the light of the world. This dark world you're missing, you're missing me. I'm showing you what the Father looks like. In fact, Jesus said over and over again, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Over and over, and he says, listen, the better you know me, the more you know God. If you want to know what the Father looks like, if you want to know how the Father thinks, if you want to know how the Father acts, just watch me. And so that's what he's saying. He said, I'm the light of the world, so, so take a good look at me. That's what you're seeing. Back to the blind guy. Then Jesus does something we just can't understand. He takes some dirt from the ground, 
and spits in it, makes mud, and puts this mixture on the guy's eyes. Spit in dirt and puts it on the guy's eyes. Did he ask him first? Uh, listen, I'm going to put some mud in your eyes. In fact, I'm going to make it out of saliva. Are you good with that? I mean, apparently Jesus does not know the, uh, the COVID protocols that would be in place. Apparently he's not aware of the infectious disease stuff that we ought to be aware. Can you imagine today if that happened? I mean, the lawsuit, how dare you do that? Do you know, what, you know what I can get from that? You're blind. I know, but at least I'm blind. I'm not dying on top of it because of some other disease. That's what he does. And let's be honest, wouldn't we just love if John would give us some details? If John would give a footnote and say, let me just explain why. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus pulled the disciples aside and said, listen, you're probably wondering why I did mud. Because think about this. Jesus could have just gone, you're healed. He could have just touched his head and be healed. He didn't have to touch him. He could have gone, healed. In fact, he could have done, watch this, healed. I mean, right? He could have done any one of those things, but he chooses to put mud on the guy's eyes. It makes absolutely no sense. If you find anybody out there that can explain it, just so you know, they don't know. We have no idea. I would just love to show it. Please, what is this mud thing about? We don't know, but that's what he does. He makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and then Jesus says something that I never would have said. He does something I never would have done, and then he says something I never would have said, and chances are, neither would you. Here's our story, verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. There it is, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, this word sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. There's two things. There's one thing that Jesus doesn't do that we would have done, and that is there's no confession of faith here. You see, the way we work in our lives is this. You want me to do something for you? Uh, you do. Okay, well, do you want to confess first that I'm Lord? How about a little confession that you believe in me? How about a little confess your sin real quick? Let's just get out of the way all the stuff that you've done in your life. There's none of that. That's where we live. You want me to do something for you? So let's come clean. Didn't do any of that. That's, that's one thing we probably would have done that Jesus didn't do. No confession, no confession of Lord, no confession, I believe. None of, none of that. But then he does something that I just would not have done. And chances are you wouldn't have either, but I, but I won't even include you, just me. I would not have done this. He just says to him, go. See, I wouldn't do that. I would say, stay right here. Because if you're going to see, I'm going to make you see, and everyone's going to see me make you see. Right? I and mean, that's my ego. If you're going to be blind and now you can see, I want you to view it right here so that when you open your eyes, I'm the first one you see. And everybody's going to say, ooh, who did that? I did. Who do I thank? You thank me. Who should we say did it? Uh, Scott G. Slocum. Tell him I did it. See, that's, what we, that's how we are. And you, you, you catch in many of these miracles that Jesus does, he's not present. He does that. He puts mud on the guy's eye and he sends him away. Most of us would say, I'm not sending him away. I'm going to do it right here so everyone sees me do it. Jesus just says, go. This blind guy, I mean, if you miss what happened right there, you missed a key point. This blind guy has some guy named Jesus put mud in his eyes and then the guy who put the mud on says, now go and go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam and he goes and he does it. Now, first of all, wouldn't be an easy task. Don't forget you're blind. So that means someone has to take you there. But he goes and he does it. This man, we have another picture. This guy walks away in faith, not by sight. I mean, no pun intended there. 
I mean, literally, he walks away in faith because he's just going on what Jesus said. Now, again, in this story, we have this foreshadowing of every one of our lives. We have a foreshadowing of every one of our lives following Jesus, choosing to trust Jesus on the words of other people. That's our story. He hadn't seen Jesus before. He was blind. That we know of, that anything that we can read in the story, he had no connection with Jesus. All he had heard, he'd heard stories about Jesus. That's my story and that's yours. Why are you a follower of Jesus? Because I heard the stories and I decided to believe them to be true. And once I decided to believe them, I found them to be true. I believe the stories. So the story continues, verse 8. So his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same one who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, now then, where, how were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him, I don't know. So Jesus tells him to go and wash his eyes, and he does that, and then he goes home. Interesting, he doesn't come back to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, go wash your eyes, come back and find me, I'll be waiting here for you. He goes, he washes his eyes, and then he goes home. Goes back to his, town, his home where he's grown up and where he lived, and immediately people are looking at him going, something different about you. Did you get a haircut? I mean, I can't peg it, but there's something different about you. And they're going, wait a minute, you can see. He goes, I can. And you can imagine they're going, that makes no sense. I mean, we've known you since you were born and you've been blind since you were born and you can see. That makes no sense. They didn't get it. And you know what? We wouldn't get it either, right? We've got the advantage of sitting on this side of the story. In the story, we would be just as confused looking at him saying, I don't understand this at all. So they say to him, well, how is it you can see? It's a great story. He goes, some guy named Jesus he made mud, and he put it in my eyes. What kind of mud? I don't know. I was blind. Well, where did he get the mud? Blind. What did he look like? Blind. Where did he go? Are you stupid? I'm blind. Until I washed, I couldn't see. I have no idea. I just know the name he gave me. His name was Jesus. Mud on my eyes, I can see. Immediately, they don't know what to do with him, so they do what the law required. Back then, the law required if somebody was healed, you went and took the person to the spiritual leaders because they needed to determine if there was a real healing that took place or not. So they take Jesus to the spiritual leaders. Immediately, the spiritual leaders look at Jesus, hear the story, I mean, look at this guy, hear the story, and immediately they accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath day laws because it's the Sabbath. Jesus kind of has a history of doing these things on the Sabbath day. So he violates the law. The question you ought to asking is, should be asking is, well, what does he violate? See, before he, he healed the guy that was lame, on the Sabbath day, and the key violation they were worked up about is he told the guy to what? Pick up your mat and walk. So the guy's carrying his mat, violation. So what's the violation here? Actually, two. First, the law said that you were not allowed to do medicine or healing on the Sabbath unless uh, it was to save a life. So the rationale was this. You could have made him see tomorrow. I mean, he's blind, he's not dying, so you could have just said, come back tomorrow and I'll heal you tomorrow. So there's violation number one. And most of us would go, are you kidding me? Well, wait till you get to violation number two. Number two is that he actually made mud, 
which was a violation of the law that said you cannot do any kneading on Sabbath. Now, kneading, like kneading bread. So you take bread, you take flour, and you take yeast, and you take water, and you mix it together and knead it. So the interpretation is you took mud and saliva, put it together, and you kneaded it. That's a violation of Sabbath day. And we would say, you have got to be kidding me. But they weren't kidding. Now, I want you to remember a key thing here. Jesus did not break any Sabbath law. This was not the written law of God. This was not the commandments of keeping the Sabbath holy. This was man's interpretation. You see, man always wants to do that. God gets it right, and we say, well, let's help God out. So the Pharisees decided they were going to answer all the questions and all the nuances. So you can't need bread. So that's how that came into be. Jesus didn't violate any law. He only violated their version of the law. The bottom line is this. They had put together this box, these parameters that Jesus was going to operate in, and he didn't fit inside the parameters. But now they have a problem. They got a key question that they can't get answered and very perplexing to them. Verse 16. Now, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So there they are. They're stuck. Because everyone knows that if it's a godly person, they would keep the Sabbath laws and they would know them. But a sinner couldn't possibly do something like this. It had to be the power of God. So they're stuck. They don't have an answer. So immediately they decide, let's ask the guy who is blind. He'll help us. Verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Don't forget, the question they always ask is, who is Jesus? That's the question. He is a prophet. They still do not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So they say, so who do you think this guy is, saint or sinner? And he goes, he's a prophet sent by God. Well, that's not helpful at all because the prophet's kind of right between saint and sinner. Any given time, the prophet can go either way here. So that doesn't help. Well, you know what? I, we, we, how do we know you really were blind? So let's get the parents involved. So they send for the parents. That's the next step in the process. They decide to get the, bring the parents in and have them speak into it. So now parents come in, verse 19. Is this your son? Uh, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how we can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, and he'll speak for himself. So is this your son? Answer, it is. Was he blind at birth? He was. Well, how is it that he can see? We have no idea. We're as stumped as you are. And if you read the whole, the whole passage, you'll find that one of the things they were afraid of is they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. So they thought it best just to leave it with the truth. And the truth of it is they don't know how it happened. They just know some guy named Jesus. But they're not going to say that because anyone who said the name or was even close to being a follower of Jesus was kicked out of the synagogue. Now, in that day, to be kicked out of the synagogue, it wasn't like you left the Baptist church and decided to go to the Methodist church. It wasn't like you got booted out of the, out of the Alliance church and you're going to go to the Nazarene church. If you're out of the synagogue, in that day, you're out from the protection of God. You are alienated from God. They didn't want that. So they took the path that said, ask him. He can give you the answer. He's of age. So they bring the guy back again. Now, stop here real quick. What's going on here? Make sure you get this. What's going on in the story is this. It's simple. 
Their head and their theology didn't have room for what they were seeing. Let's be honest. If it weren't for the fact that we're 2,000 years later, our head and our theology wouldn't have much room for a blind guy seeing either. But it doesn't have, they don't have any room for it. Now, what they wanted God to look like and what they wanted God to be like and what they wanted God to act like, they had kind of set up the parameters of how he should be. And what they're seeing now doesn't fit into the parameters. So they have to have some explanation. They've got to explain away what they're seeing or experiencing. Just so you know, we do it all the time. See what goes like this. So a person, and maybe this is you, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you begin to hear the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, I, you know, it's me, you can follow me. And just about the time where someone starts to lean in, they go, hey, wait a minute. If I'm going to follow God, how, why is it then if there's such a thing as a loving God, then why is it that a loving God allows sickness and suffering in the world? I mean, how, does it, how can that be? See what happens? We lean in and we got to think of some explanation, some reason to keep us from going there. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus. goes like this. Someone's hurt you. Someone's harmed you. And you clearly hear the God's spirit whispering in your ear, forgive them. And you go, oh, okay, I'll forgive them. And then you go, but they really haven't shown any signs of needing to, wanting to be forgiven. I mean, shouldn't they have some kind of a contrite heart before I forgive? And we begin to create the scenario that it gives us the way out of having to do that which God calls us to do. We do it all the time. So they bring the guy back. And here comes one of my favorite verses of the Bible, one of my favorite quotes. It's one of the ones I've grabbed a hold of often in my life as they bring this guy back and ask him another time what happened. Verse, uh, verse 24. A second time they summon the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. I love this. You want to honor God, honor him by telling the truth. We know this man's a sinner, referring to Jesus. And then he replies this. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind but now I see. Don't you just love that? I just love that. What I know is this. Two hours ago, I was blind. Two days ago, I was blind. 20 years ago, I was blind. And right now, I can see. That's what I know. I love that. But let me tell you why you should love that. Don't just love it because it's cute. Don't just love it because it's a nice sounding thing. And it is a nice sounding. I, one, I know one thing. Once I was blind, now I can see. And it sounds great. But let me tell you why you should love that. The blind guy is saying, I don't know everything. And I don't understand everything. I get it, he said. But I don't have to understand everything to believe something. I don't have to be able to explain everything to believe what I see with my own eyes right now. I don't have to explain how everything works in order to believe in something or in someone. You know why you should love this? Because neither do you. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. You don't have to understand or be able to explain every page of the Bible to be able to say, Jesus Christ has changed my life. I mean, you should love that. You see, for so many times, some people will not come to faith. They will not respond to the call of God because they'll say, well, there's too many things I can't understand. That's just an excuse. 
But I'd also say that for those of us who are followers of Christ, sometimes we won't tell someone else our story because we can't explain everything. You don't have to explain everything. You don't have to know everything in order to believe something. I love this. This is why I, should, I love this piece of it. I mean, this guy simply says, I don't know everything. I can't explain everything. I know one thing. My life has been radically changed. That's what I know. Friends, listen. Just tell your story. And if someone looks at you and says, well, I don't believe your story. It's my story. Can you answer this and this and this? Nope. All I know is that once I was blind and now I can see. Now, why is it the world does to Christianity and to spiritual things what we don't do other places? Meaning this, and think about this. Um, do you believe in love? Absolutely. Do you see love around you? Absolutely. Can you explain love? Good luck. Good luck explaining love, what that means. Can you explain consciousness? I mean, most of you are conscious. I caught a couple of you unconscious, but other than that, can you explain, can you explain consciousness? No. Do you believe in it? Sure. Energy. Do you, do you believe in energy? Sure. Can you explain it? Not really. Information. Do you believe in information? I do. Do you live off of information? We do. Can you explain information? Not well. Can you explain how it is that your body maintains its temperature nonstop, 24 hours a day, with no explanation? And you go, well, no, I can't explain it. Well, but I don't see anyone here refusing to eat until you get a full explanation. In fact, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm going to demonstrate my, my belief in my body by eating in, in abundance. Right? I mean, we don't practice this thing, in, in, in these, this kind of idea, in anything else but spiritually. Well, wait a minute, i got to have all the answers. Here's the point. This guy's story is the story of millions upon millions of Christians. This guy's story is my story. This guy's story is your story. I can't explain it all, but this I know. Jesus Christ has changed my life. Listen, if Jesus Christ has changed your life, anyone can tell that story because it's your story. Anyone can say, listen, I was in a season of my life I was in a point in my life where, man, I was down. It was at the end. I was lonely. I was, I was defeated. My dreams were done, broken, finished, whatever it might be. And I said in that moment, I said, oh, God, and I can't explain it, but God showed up. I can't explain to you what happened to me, but my life has never been the same because of God. And if someone chooses to, to go after it, it's okay because it's your story. And you know it to be true. Once I was blind. But now I can see, and I've never been the same. Back to the story of our seeing guy. Now, they don't know what to do with his story. They really don't know what to do. And so they start at him again. They're going to kind of go back at him again and say, yeah, let's understand this thing. And so they ask him, verse 26, so they ask him, well, what did he do to you? And, and how exactly did he open your eyes? Now, they're asking the guy again, tell us the story all over again. And now this guy's done with them. This guy is at a point now where he's pretty much done with them. And here's what he says, verse 27. So he answers them. I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Wait a minute. Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now that is remarkable. I mean, this guy's actually pretty sharp. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. 
Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. It's a great moment. I love this. This guy, he's right in their face. He goes, let me tell you the story again. And they get this right. You, you must want to hear it because you want to believe too. And man, with that, they begin to hurl insults. Now, here's the key. Remember I said at the very beginning, there's the key piece you can't, you, you can't miss. Now we're going to get into all that piece right there. Now, first thing you have to understand, what do, they, what do they say? It says they hurled insults at him, but what do they go back to? They immediately go back to the very thing we talked about in the beginning, culturally, the sin issue. They go right back and they make the statement that says, you were steeped in sin at birth. You have to understand what that means. What they're saying to him is this, how dare you lecture us? You were the one that was born with sin. See, they're going right back to that whole thought process, who sinned, parents or him, and they're now believing it's him. They're going, who are you, Lecturers? Because you're the one that was born in sin. You're the one that was steeped in sin. You are getting what you deserve. When you were born blind, you got everything you deserved. How dare you lecture us? Now, that's the starting place. This once blind guy can now see. Let me make sure you get this. This blind guy who can now see, please know, he believed the same truth that they believed. You see, here's the part of the story you have to make sure you get. This guy would have believed the exact same thing, that my being blind is the result of sin. See, he would have believed that because that's what everyone believed. That's what everyone was taught. Everything, everyone believed the same thing. So you imagine he's growing up and his thought process is, I don't exactly know what sin, but somehow I have sinned in causes or my parents have sinned in causes or the parents are going, well, we don't know what happened. We're going to think it's him and he's probably thinking it's them. But please know they're all thinking the same thing. This guy who was blind is thinking the exact same thing. So in this moment... When he says, do you want to be disciples too? And they start hurling insults. They go right back to this cultural mindset. Don't lecture us. You were steeped in sin. You got everything you deserved. Here's the point of the story. And right there in that moment, from what I can tell, I think the light goes on for this guy's, in this guy's head. And all of a sudden, I think it dawns on him. Wait a minute. I can see. That means I didn't get what I deserved. See, there's the peace. Everything they believed is that if you're blind, you got what you deserved. And they went right back to that story. You were born blind because that what you deserved. And at that moment, this guy's going, wait a minute. That's true. I believe that. But then how do I explain that I can see? Only one explanation. I got what I didn't deserve. Friends, that's my story. And that's yours. I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. I got everything I didn't deserve. That's the story of the blind guy. He actually didn't get what he deserved. And neither did we. We get grace. And so this guy goes, <laughs> I'm going to follow him because I got from him something I didn't deserve. And you know what my story is? 
I'm going to follow him because I got what I didn't deserve. How about you? Stand, please. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Each week as I'm studying, I'm looking, I mean, just new things jump off the page. And this whole idea that they were so convinced that he got everything he deserved, and there it is. No, he didn't. Thank you that his story is mine. Thank you his story is ours. For the person who has never placed their faith in you, might they, might they maybe even today stop and say, man, that is my story. I'm going to follow Jesus. For those of us who have been following you for a long time, may once again, be, may our faith be renewed on this spectacular event that you have done in this man's life and then had it written down so that we would look at it and say, oh, man, I believe. Dismiss us in your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of